take your Bibles and join me again in Genesis 8. As you're doing that, I've got deacons poised at all the doors here. Did anybody not get the communion elements, the little chalice of bread and wine or juice? Anybody not get that? When I said wine, several hands shot up and then right back down. That was interesting. Uh, Right over here, guys, Tony, uh, anybody else? Anybody need it? They do make these in that version, but um, I don't think we're going to go there. I don't know. If it gets old enough, it'll do it on its own, I guess. But we're glad you're here. Hey, let me give you something to celebrate. In addition to this precious young man, Braylon, we we, uh, rejoice within his salvation and baptism. Next hour, uh, we have six more coming through the waters of baptism here at Grace. And so God is good. We, uh, we are seeing so many decisions for the Lord. It started earlier in the week with three, and then one of the guys said, hey, I've led such and such to the Lord, four, then five, then six. If one of y'all wants to get saved and baptized, we've got shorts and T-shirts and towels and everything you'll need. Uh, we got stuff to, to fix you up just right. So between services, let us know. If you want to be baptized today, we can accommodate you. I do want to remind you that the Tina Brogdon Celebration of Life Service is this afternoon. Uh, They'll be receiving friends between 4 and 6 and in GSM today uh, at 6 p.m. we will be sharing Brad Linderman actually from Honduras who uh, Mike and Tina have worked with for many, many years. He'll share and then I'll be bringing a gospel message. It won't be a a really long service but we do want to celebrate Miss Tina and so you come. And also, if you happen to see Holly and Garrett today, Holly's celebrating a birthday today, our middle daughter. And in less than a month, it's hard to believe, I'm going to be giving her away. She's getting married in just under a month. <laughs> okay, so um, anyway, just looking at the books, being honest, being honest. Okay, so we're in this series called Genesis Fact or Fiction. Let's go ahead and look at Genesis 7-5 again. I know we're in, this stuff feels pretty good under the feet, actually. It's protecting our floor. Um, We're looking at Genesis 8, but let's go ahead and repeat Genesis 7-5. You ready? Say it with me. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Good. Now, I didn't uh, put blanks in it because you know it. He did all, all according to the Lord commanded him. And that is so important for what we are learning. We've talked about a storm is brewing and be prepared and the world is underwater. Last week we started high and dry and I want to jump right back in. I'll quickly review and so stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Genesis 8. I'm going to read the whole chapter and I'm going to read it somewhat quickly this morning. I would ask you to pray also. Some of you like me are feeling the the allergies and the things that are coming out, kind of a rough weekend with the voice. So um, doing three different messages, or three messages today, um, I'm just praying for a supernatural touch. I don't think it's anything wrong with asking God specifically, hey, can you touch me right here? Allow me to keep my voice for the next uh, little bit. So I appreciate that. The Bible says, and the Lord God, or that God remembered Noah, And every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. And the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. Remember, rain had been coming down but also up. And God put a stop to that. The rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. And at the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. That was exactly five months from when this journey began. But it's about a year before they walk outside. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. 
And so it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. And he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned to the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. And so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark himself. Now watch the pattern here. And then he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. And then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. And so he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And Noah immediately ran outside and said, praise God, I'm away from these stinky animals. No, it says in verse 14, and in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Now notice this, then, then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination or intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. And then there's almost this song or this poem that the Lord is expressing in his heart. While the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Heavenly Father, I love this, this section here. It shows us that you are not finished with us. You are not finished with your creation. You will not destroy us in this manner again. Although we still have a bent toward evil, there is an intent, Lord, where all of us sin and fall short of your glory. But you love us. You give us another chance. And I thank you for this man, Noah, his wife, his sons, and his sons' wives. I thank you for faithfulness and the reward of that faithfulness, which is life itself. God, may you bless now the hearing and the receiving of the word. We don't need to ask you to speak. You have spoken. But I pray now that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to receive and hands and feet to respond. Help us to be more like you when we leave this morning than when we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. So let me walk back through the text. As I do that, Miss Cindy, do you mind grabbing my little water bottle right there and bringing it to me, honey? I'm sorry. Um, let's, let's go back and review. Put up point one for me, please. If you think you've been left high and dry, remember, thank you, honey. You look pretty. If you think you've been left high and dry, in other words, just sort of abandoned without help, remember what Noah does here. Wait on the Lord. Just take a pill, man. Take a chill pill. Wait on the Lord. 
What is that? It's patient, confident, expectant hope. It's not twiddling your thumbs, guys. It's actively trusting in the Lord more than your current circumstances. I didn't get into this last week, but in my study many years ago on the word wait and the concept, in Hebrew, you can unpack a word by the letters put around it. We do that in English too, so we'll use different letters to make something say past tense, like an ED or something. But um, many times the word wait is an active participle. It can be um, like an active imperative. I won't get into the nuance of that, but the point is it's not just sitting around doing nothing. It is an active exercise. And then I said, you know, if God has clearly opened a door in front of you, you need to walk. And if God, God himself has not clearly opened a door for you, then you need to wait. In other words, without clarity and peace, be still and know that he is God. Some of you in life have attempted to kick the doors down. Some of you in relationships, you knew something was wrong. You had a check in your spirit. There were red flags, yet you kicked the door down and you attempted to walk through and you found pain and you found um, frustration and disappointment on the other side. Wait on the Lord. So if you think you've been left high and dry, wait on the Lord. We also learned this, when the Lord speaks, obey promptly and completely. So Noah did some things, right? He did some stuff while he was waiting. He was preparing, sort of investigating, scientifically looking at the world around him, getting ready. But then when the Lord spoke, it's verse 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark And you know what's interesting is God only gives him a couple of directives. I want you to go out and do this, this, and this. But Noah does more. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. But, you know, I can tell you what I would have done. Again, I sort of ended with this thought last time. Dove is gone. Ground is dry. I'm out of here, bub. You know what? You holler for me on the other side. I'm getting away from this ark. I'm getting away from these animals. You guys know how it must have sounded. Now I get that God could have supernaturally kept the noise down and the smell down and all of that. He could have supernaturally done that, but the Bible doesn't say. And so chances are it was getting pretty ripe in there. It's been a year. Chances are it was time to get out. And so I'm wanting to move. But here's the thing. If I had done that, as I have done so many times, in my life, I would have likely missed the blessing God had. And I I thought about this and I thought, you know, there's a story in Numbers. It's Numbers chapters 13 and 14. It's God's deliverance of his people from Egypt to the promised land. And God had told them, that was a very short journey, by the way, a very short journey. And God has told them, that uh, they're, they're going to have this land, this good land, this land of abundance. And so the people sent 12 spies, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. They sent 12 spies into the land. 10 of the 12 spies came back and said what? Can't do it. Nope, 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 nope. We're grasshoppers in their sight. They're big, mighty warriors. There's no way we can take these people. But there was a fellow named Joshua. You've heard of him, right? And there was a fellow named Caleb. Very good. There's a fellow named Caleb. And those guys were like, wait a minute. God has said we can do this. God has said let's enter. And the people said, nope, 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 can't do it. And so, you know, the Lord and Moses are going through these things. And God said, okay, it's going to be bad for them. I'm just telling you, Moses, it's going to be bad. And so they don't go in when God said go in. And then when they realize they're going to be punished for that, 
when they realized that this short journey, relatively speaking, is now going to turn into 40 years, they're like, oh, no, wait a minute. Come on, gang. We can take them. Let's go. Let's go get them. And God said, don't you do it now. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Don't you do it. And what happens? Many of the people lose their lives. There's this great slaughter. The people are pushed back. And in fact, God even says, you know what? This entire first generation will now fall in the wilderness. I mean, y'all, I'd have said it this way from where I came from. He said, they got whooped. I mean whooped. And so God is teaching a powerful lesson there. And I think God is teaching a very powerful lesson here. Watch this. Doing the right thing at the wrong time becomes the wrong thing. You see, what we've got to do is understand God's timing is not always our timing. Noah knew what to do. He knew to build the ark. He knew to go in. He knew to preserve his family and preserve animal kind. He knew what to do. Now he's got to wait on the Lord to discover when to do it. That's why I think for any church, for any individual, quite frankly, there's only one driving question that we should even care about that much. Lord, is this what you want for this church at this time? It's the only thing I care about. If it's uh, building something, doing something, starting a ministry, cutting something, whatever it may be, Lord, is this what you want for this church or for my life at this time? I think it's a very valid way to walk through this life. When God said go, they should have went regardless of how it looked to them on the outside. When God, when God said, stay, stop, don't move, they should have stayed. They should have stopped, regardless of how it looked to them on the outside. So God tells Noah to do some very simple things. I want you to get out. I want to bring with you all of those animals. And then he gives him a repetition of what we had already learned in Genesis 1 and 2. Everybody here is going to be fruitful and multiply. Y'all understand that. That's a, a procreative command. In the process of replenishing the created order that God had already judged with destruction, he repeats the words of blessing he had given in Genesis 1.22. So Noah faces a new world where longevity of life begins to decline immediately. Think about it. This world is now subject to storms and severe weather, blazing heat and freezing cold, seismic action and natural disasters. Pastor, are you saying it wasn't like that before the flood? I'm saying it was radically different before the flood. I'm saying that in that antediluvian world, in that pre-flood world, it was a radically different place. I think everything changed. Again, I think that's why some groups of animals, like i.e. the dinosaurs as we think of them, although I think they're remnants, they could not survive in this post-flood world. It doesn't take all these meteors banging against the earth. It takes a radical event that changes everything. So let's go back for a moment in our minds and consider, what does this dove, the, the middle dove, the third, the second of the three doves, what does this dove bring back to Noah in its mouth? A fresh olive leaf. And what is that a picture of? New life, birth. Uh, one of my favorite things to see on Pellissippi as we go from Oak Ridge toward Knoxville is there a couple of hills where, I don't know how long ago, but somebody scattered tulip, or I planted tulip bulbs. Y'all seen those hills over there with the yellow and the white tulips? What's that? I'm sorry? Oh, daffodils, I'm sorry, daffodils. Yes, not tulips, daffodils. Um, 
When did they do that? How long has that been going on around here? Years and years, 20 years ago? It's a beautiful thing, how long will it last? Just a matter of weeks. It won't be there long. What I know is they'll come up for a few weeks and then I don't know if they mow over it or if they just die that quickly, but they're gone as quick as they come. You can go check them out now because we had a premature spring, which why we, maybe why my allergies are doing this. Things came out really early. And so what I'm saying is that that comes up in a particular time, but as soon as the weather shifts again, as soon as things change again, it's radically different. In the same way, this olive, so that's a sign, if you will, of spring, And in addition to the way my head feels. It's a sign of spring in East Tennessee. Well, this sign, this, this picture that God gave to Noah is a sign, and yet he still couldn't just rush off the boat. He still had to wait on the Lord. Think about it. Those who entered this storm, uh, those who entered this ark, rode out the storms. They're delivered by the mercies of God. And for the long year of rising and receding waters, and the seven months or so, they had to sit. I mean, they were sitting for months and months and months on the top of Mount Ararat. Do you realize they were sitting longer than they were floating? By a couple of months, guys. They're sitting a very, very long time, and yet the Lord is quiet. He waited and he waited, but he did not exit until given a heavenly word to disembark. I love what Calvin said, he uses ancient language, sepulcher would be like tomb, and I wouldn't call the ark a tomb by any stretch, but John Calvin many, many years ago wrote, Noah did not move a foot out of his sepulcher without the command of God. Well, that's pretty good. He didn't move a foot. If Noah and all of his families and all the animals came out too soon, they literally could have been bogged down. If you've ever done flood clean out, like we've done flood clean out, you better not get inside too early, especially if you're cleaning out a house in Florida. There could be one of those dinosaurs called a gator waiting on you if you go in too early. It's horrible. I don't know if you've seen the news about that precious 85-year-old lady this week. Don't tell me dinosaurs aren't still out there. The reality is you gotta wait. You've gotta wait for that recension of water. So if you think you've been left high and dry, wait on the Lord. When the Lord speaks, obey promptly and completely. And I really love what Noah did. Remember to praise the Lord demonstrably for his deliverance. I mean, think about this, guys. God has done something great. And far too often, we're almost immediately off to the next thing. And I would submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, we need to slow down. What does it mean, by the way, to praise the Lord demonstrably? I would say it very simply like this. You don't just say you're thankful, show you're thankful. That's what it means, to demonstrate. That's what God did for us. Now look, I don't mean you have to run around in some crazy charismatic fit. I don't mean you have to be hyper-emotional. That's not what Noah does. If that's what God calls you to do, to, to run around with hands waved, maybe God called you to do that, but you better be certain. It's very easy to distinguish, uh, to, it's very easy to go too far, too fast in human emotion when we're really called to show the Lord how grateful we are. Now, you know, think about it. Have you ever said thanks without showing thanks? Of course you have, and I have. 
and my kids have. Remember that show and tell. I wrote a phrase, I said, don't just lip it, live it. Don't just lip it, live it. In other words, sometimes we're like, oh yeah, thanks. But then immediately we show no gratitude. Oh, oh yeah, I appreciate that. But immediately by our actions, we don't show how grateful we are. I want you to remember this though. I know you know Romans 8, but listen to it again. Verses six and following. For when we were still without strength, listen to this, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. See, God knows the importance of timing. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare die. In other words, if they're good enough, you might be willing to step in their place, but think about what God did. But God, but God demonstrates demonstrably. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, maybe for a good man, somebody would die. Maybe. But when you're spitting in his face, when you're whipping the flesh off his back, when you're driving nails in his hands and feet and mocking him, really? God demonstrated his love. Can you imagine what Noah and his family thought when they opened that door? Can you imagine what they thought when they hit a post-flood world for the first time? Would you look at this place? There is so much work to do. Man, we're gonna have to start a garden. We're gonna have to put up some sort of shelter. Hey, mama, go find us a cave. Do the best you can. Look at all we've gotta do around here. Look how much work. What a mess. Have you ever been in a post-flood environment? It's nasty, y'all. This is a universal flood, a catastrophic flood, the worst flood the world has or ever will see. There's a lot of work to do. I've lived in it. There's a lot to do. But what does he do? What does he do first, guys? What's the Bible say? He worships the Lord. Did you catch that, right? He doesn't get right to the building. He doesn't get right to the cleaning up. He doesn't get right to the garden planning. All of that will need to come, by the way. But the Bible says that Noah built not a house for himself, not a garden for his family, an altar to the Lord. Now I wondered if any of his family members were fed up by this point. I wonder if anybody said, could you please wait on that till we get something to eat? I wonder how those clean animals felt. Could you imagine if those animals could talk to one another like a Disney film? Whew, we made it. Thank the Lord. Oh, why's this guy grabbing me? Where's he taking me? What a terrible thing to have happen when you've made it through the flood. I know, I'm a little twisted, but I'm thinking, what... How bad would that have been? And yet, all of it is to say to the Lord, and I realize different commentators have theories on the offering. Some of them have different ways of understanding the offering. I just believe this is a grateful man thanking his God. You can overcomplicate it if you want to. I think it's a man saying, God, 
Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know we don't have the sacrificial system outlined yet, but clearly the word of God has been written on his heart. Clearly he understands enough of what God expects of him and that life is in the blood and he spills the blood of these clean animals, these accepted animals, and he made these preparations and he sacrificed them. And guys, that would have taken quite some time. That would not have been a one afternoon gig. And how would the Lord have taken that? Well, how does God receive our offering and our praise? He delights in it. In fact, he dwells in the praise. This is where we meet God. You, you wanna study Asbury? You wanna study what's going on around the nation? Praise God right now. You wanna study it? I'll give you the starting study point. When you let everything else go and you put your eyes fixed fully on him, the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And then you get connected in a way that maybe you've never been connected before. And God delights in the connection. He rejoices in the connection. What if he had been sacrificing and thinking, oh, I've got so much to do. I've got to hurry up with this. Hurry up. Come here. Come here. Give me another one of those doves. How bad? What would the Lord have thought then? Mm. You know, his hands and feet look like they're doing the right thing, but his heart is far from me. To obey is better than sacrifice. To do what I've called you to do is better than the fat of rams. But his heart is right, clearly by the response God has. His actions are right. Is it possible, though, that we could ever raise our hands and sing and maybe even serve the Lord without truly loving him and worshiping him in spirit and truth? Could that be possible? Exhibit A, Judas Iscariot. But the Bible says God smelled a soothing aroma. He accepted Noah's sacrifice. God smelled this sweet savor. Do you realize there's something interesting here? I know you've heard the phraseology before, but this is the only time the Lord is actually recorded to have smelt a sacrifice. Now, David prays that God will smell it, and the Bible declares that God will not smell the offerings of the disobedience, but for God to smell or take in a sacrifice implies he accepted it, and he accepted the one bringing it. See, regardless of how sinful mankind would become in the future, God promised not to engage in a global catastrophe by flood again. God's response to Noah's worship was to say in his heart, I find it fascinating that the Bible uses that particular phraseology. God said in his heart, in his inmost being, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination or thought of man's heart is evil from his youth. In other words, I'm not saving you because you figured it out and you're going to be good from here forward. Mm -mm. He said, I know that man will still think evil, but I'm not going to destroy every living thing as I've done. While the earth remains, now there's coming a day of a new heavens and new earth, but God says until then, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, Cold and heat, again, one day in East Tennessee, winter and summer, all day and day and night, these markers, if you will, shall not cease. You really ought to remember, and I really would do well to remember, that God's commitment was not based on our worthiness. God's statement was made at the same time that his awareness and disapproval of man's unrelenting evil is being reiterated. 
God makes a promise in spite of knowing what man will do. With so many radical changes from the flood, God is reestablishing the cycle of seasons. I'm imagining across that one year span, about five months of the deluge, seven months then in this restorative time and recension, I'm imagining that God is spinning things back into what we might classify as the new normal. As long as the earth remains and endures. That specific wording in the last verse, in verse 22, resolves the tension in the promise of the verse and the subsequent descriptions of a final judgment of the world. In fact, if we were to look at 2 Peter 3, 12 and 13, it says this final apocalypse will produce a new heaven, a new earth. But God promises to keep his wrath from humanity until the earth as it is currently known is no more. It will be reborn, renewed. So what have we learned here as we transition into this time around God's table. If you think you've been left high and dry, wait on the Lord. When the Lord speaks, obey promptly and completely. And remember to praise the Lord demonstrably for his deliverance. Praise the Lord demonstrably for his deliverance. Noah had a lot to do. The family was going to be extremely busy in the coming months and years. The whole world would be repopulated by this family. All of animal kind that lived on the ground and in the air would be repopulated in the coming days. And yet the more important, the most important thing was to slow down and to praise God for his deliverance. There's a lot that we can do as a church and a lot that we should do. There are those that need clothing and feeding. We're doing a wonderful job reaching out in so many practical ways here every week, here and with our partners locally, nationally, and internationally. There's a lot we're doing to be generous as a people. There's a lot of people that still need faith in Jesus. We're seeing salvations every week here. I mean, literally every week people are getting saved and multiples are getting baptized and yet I know there's still a lot more lostness. And we could have the charge, let's go church. Let's get out of these doors right now. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's win the world to Jesus and we do need to do that. We do need to show our faith and share our faith as we go. We do need to do all of those things. But there's always a time to be still and know that he's God. There's always a time to calm our spirits before the Lord, to be reminded of why we have good news, of what that good news really is all about. It's said that on the night that our Lord would be betrayed, Before the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, which he and his disciples were eating, our Lord took bread. He blessed it, he broke it, he gave to his disciples. He was explaining something to them. In other words, before he would go to the cross, our Lord Jesus needed to worship the Father. And he took up the unleavened bread in his hands. I'll show you a few images. I like to show you these because for those of you that are new, I almost always get some form of comment. I didn't realize that it had all of that symbolism in it. 
that truly unleavened bread, that flat bread or matzah, typically is bruised. It is striped. It is even pierced. Why? Because it lacks leaven and we want to cook it quickly. We want it baked as fast as possible. It is a reminder that God is delivering his people. Be ready. Be ready. Sandals on feet, staff in hand, unleavened bread. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. But before we go, Jesus says, remember, remember, the reason you have a promised land, the reason you have a place to look forward to, the reason you're not in bondage forever, the reason that you can walk with me and talk with me and and say that I am your own, the reason is because this is my body and it's broken for you. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that as we partake of this bread, we would pause, get every wayward thought from our mind, focus fully on the precious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, this is my body, he was saying, in just a few hours, it will be bruised. It will be striped. It will be pierced. And when he concluded that prayer, he would show them it will be broken so that your body doesn't have to take the punishment. I'm standing in your place. I am the substitutionary sacrifice. I am spilling my blood, having my body broken so that through my death, you can enjoy eternal and abundant life. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for sparing us. Noah had so much to thank you for, but we do too. The flood of judgment should rightly pour over us all, but you have made a way through the ark, the one door, the one way, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body. It is broken for you. If you'll take your chalice cup and open where the bread is. He was teaching his followers in John chapter 6 about the difference in the manna that came from heaven and himself as the bread of life. You know, in the Gospel of John, there are those seven very famous I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door, etc. I am the bread of life. And he made this comment to them. He said, I'm not as the fathers ate and died in the wilderness, but speaking of himself, he said, he that eateth this bread shall live forever. On that same night, our Lord was betrayed. He took the cup. It was one of four cups, actually. This was the cup of redemption. And because we know that life is in the blood and it's always been a picture, Jesus would take that cup, he would bless it, and he would share it among his followers there that night, his disciples. If you would prepare your cup. Heavenly Father, As we are thankful for the broken body, we are also extremely thankful 
for the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. As Noah worshiped you demonstrably there after the flood, Jesus demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Thank you, Lord, for the willingness of your Son and our Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood so that we could be cleansed of all of our sin. We do this now in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in Hebrews 9, according to the law, almost all things are cleansed with blood, and apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness. We read in 1 John, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're here today and you really have never accepted the finished work of Christ on your behalf, I want you to know that just like so many others that have been coming and talking with us, you can trust Jesus today. You can say yes to the Lord. Jesus Christ died in your place and mine. Buried and raised by the power of God the third day, which we'll soon celebrate, it's hard to believe, but at Easter time, he is coming again. He will receive us unto himself and we can know that we know that we know that we are saved, sealed, rescued, delivered. And I want you to trust him. And if you've never trusted him, there's no better time than now. He will never, ever leave you high and dry. Stand with me. If you'd like to come today and pray, if you'd like to lay anything or anyone before the Lord, we'd love for you to do that. Pastors and counselors will be here. This is a holy time, in a holy place, on a holy day, before a holy God, which means set apart. This time is set apart for your response. I would ask that you would continue to pray for the Brogdons, for others, the Carries. Uh, Brother Bob Carey's mother went home to be with the Lord a few days ago. There are a lot of things we can pray about. We can pray about the lost. We can also pray prayers of praise. God, thank you. I'm pausing this morning to remember, to recall, to thank you for your love for me, for your incredible sacrifice. Jesus, thank you. Whatever it is that you need to put before God today, whatever it is you need to lay before the Lord today, the altar will be open. If nothing else, somebody ought to come and say, Lord, I love you. And I won't get so distracted doing good things. I miss the best thing. I will pause. I will stop. I will take my time. And I will bow before my King. As I pray, the altar is open. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.